Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control your own body and get the health care everyone needs has been stolen. And now politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common sense policies that protect your right to control your own body and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, you can help reclaim your rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Here's an HIV pill dilemma for you. Picture the scene. There's a rooftop sunset with fairy lights and you're vibing with friends. You remember you've got to take your HIV pill. Important, yes, but the fun moment is gone. Did you know there's a long-acting treatment option available? So catch the sunset and keep the party going. Visit PillFreeHIV.com today to learn more. Brought to you by Vive Healthcare. Hello, ladies. Hello, girls. <laughs> I'm Sam Sanders. I'm Saeed Jones. And I'm Zach Safford. And you are listening to Vibe Check. This week. This week. Oh, I want to say high and low, but it's just Ooh. very low. I'm going to just go low. It's just I'm going to stay low. It's, uh, the gutter, it's baby. Low. The gutter. The gutter. The gutter. Mm. And we're going to the gutter because we're talking about the Grammys and how that's in a mirror to society at large. And we're going to make yeah. that argument today that Beyonce's loss shows us a lot about the world. And also Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis, who polls are showing could beat Trump in a presidential race. But he currently is winning at the war on public education, and we're going to talk about that too because it's really, really bad. It's There's really so bad, much actually. Going on. But before we get into all that, let's check in, girls. How are we doing? How are we feeling? Saeed Joes, I haven't seen you in person. How are you doing? Um, <laughs> 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 that's my vibe check. There you go. The um and the look and the laugh. Uh, I think I'm okay. <laughs> I I feel. Actually, you know what it is? So this is not my recommendation because I cannot in good conscience recommend this. But over the weekend, somehow the actor America Ferreira came to mind. Oh, I love her. I really like her. And I was like, you know, I was like, I, just, I have a taste for America Ferreira. And so I was like, oh, let me watch. And I, initially I was going to watch Superstore. And eventually I will. I know that show oh, is like critically acclaimed yeah. and everything. But then I realized Ugly Betty, the 2007 comedy telenovela that kind of was her TV debut, is on Hulu. So I've been watching that. And so I I guess my, my um, and the reason I can't recommend it is it's been a... This time capsule, 2007, first of all, suddenly feels very, very long ago. 
And the show that is this upbeat, hopeful, it's like the beginning of like kind of inclusive modern television. I think those of us who now watch and love shows like Abbott Elementary, Ugly Betty is weirdly very much on the trajectory Mm. of like where TV was going. Mm -hmm. But the way that manifested in 2007, the number of anti-trans jokes, for example, you have to endure. I totally Mm -hmm. forgot that there's a major plot line that involves the actor Rebecca Romaine, who is a cisgender woman playing a trans woman who is constantly being misgendered. Like, it is a lot. It is a lot. And so it's like, I think because I've been watching the show, I think I've just been reflecting a lot. And, you know, so much of what we're going to talk about in this episode are like how the word progress so often is a facade. It's mm-hmm. an artifice. Yeah. And I think the show is just like kind of a, a refreshing like bucket of ice water. Like it is entertaining. Yeah. You know, the romantic comedy elements, Vanessa Williams, Naomi Campbell just walked onto the set of the episode huh. I'm watching. Octavia Spencer plays a stalker. Oh my God, that's right. I <laughs> totally forgot about that. Yes. <laughs> but also you're just kind of like the politics. So I think you know, with the Grammys and then looking at every, you know, Ron DeSantis and then watching the show that at the time, 2007, it was, you know, a breath of fresh air. I think for a lot of us, it was exciting to see, for example, uh, Michael Urie's gay character, Mm -hmm. you know, regular primetime. But then he's making fat jokes like every three minutes, you know? I have a theory about all TV before Obama. I think if you go back and watch now any sitcom before the Obama era, it is problematic. Have you ever mm-hmm. watched old 30 Rock episodes? It ages like yes. milk. Like, this is like slightly friends. better than that, but yeah. not much. Yeah. 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 I really think that like the entertainment industry didn't really get the wake-up call to just stop doing that stuff until we had Obama in that White House for several years making people think about identity and race and presentation. Everything before Obama. Yeah. I mean, even during Obama. Well, during Obama, but I'm saying there's been progress since, is what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, There's still bad TV, you know? Yeah. 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 I'm glad you bring that up because it kind of goes perfect today that the culture we watch and consume can Mm -hmm. tell us something about the times that we live in. It's telling us something, Mm -hmm. but how about you, Sam? I'm feeling good because... (laughs) We all have the same, like, uh... (laughs) I'm just realizing this week that I have, like, a lot of, like, culture to look forward to this year. I'm also, like, going to some shows again. Tonight, I'm going to a concert of Nick Hakeem, one of my favorite R&B singers. A song of his was featured on Insecure years ago, but he makes chill R&B the vibe, too. I'm excited about that. Thursday, I'm going to see Margot Price, a country singer whose work I love and whose book is really good. And I'm just feeling like, oh, I'm getting outside again. I know that we've talked before about this year seeming like it might be one of true reemergence, even though the pandemic isn't fully over, but I'm feeling that a lot this week. I also got this advanced copy of Brandon Taylor's new book, The Late Americans, and I am loving it. Is it a novel or another short story collection? It's a novel. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just feeling excited about the pop culture I'm consuming right now. So my vibe is good. Keep it coming, especially after the disappointment that was the Grammys. I'm focusing on the things that bring me joy, like Nick Hakeem and Margot Price and this new Brandon Taylor book. Oh, my God. It's good so far. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I feel like I'm not going to lift us up anymore because my vibe is like... Make, I, lift us up to, from where? I, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think we we're, not, we're not that well, high. Sam, you know? Sam got us to like a Sam decent I tried. hover. I tried. A decent <laughs> hover. <laughs> 
But um, yeah. I think my mood, you know, I just feel like we're all on this emotional roller coaster. And Sam, we watched the Grammys together at mm-hmm. my house. And in the midst of it is when we got notified that a massive earthquake hit Turkey, mm-hmm. Syria, that whole region of the world. And it just feels like, one, I want to acknowledge that there is a disaster still ongoing in Turkey, Syria, Egypt, parts of Egypt everywhere, and thousands of people have died. And, you know, The Cut has some amazing resources today on how to help those people. But it just was like in the midst of the Grammys, we're, you know, we're watching the show that started off good and we're going to get to why it was good at first. And in the midst of it, we were like, oh, wait, the whole world, there's something going on at all times. And it's really hard in this era, which you have push notifications, news on all the time to like protect your joy, protect your peace, and also not get overwhelmed by the world around you. So I just feel like this week I've had like this like gut punch of like, is there ever a good moment in a day without something bad happening. So that's where I'm at. Like, how do I, you know, navigate the world around me dealing with so much? But, you know, I do want to like start the show off by just acknowledging what's going on and we're yeah. still learning so much yeah. over there. And it's just so devastating. And seeing like the videos of people live streaming in the midst of the rubble while watching the Grammys is just kind of like a mind fuck that I'm still well, like, and like processing. The level of destruction, at least 5,000 dead. That yeah. death toll will climb and climb and climb as they find more victims. But yeah, it is endless whiplash. You know, yes. you're going from one push a notification to the other and often feeling helpless in the midst of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know, like, I mean, it's part of the impetus for this podcast. You know, how are you doing? Like, we try to ask it and answer it as a sincere question, which is why I'm okay being like, ah, you know, like, I, I like that we know that we can hesitate. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, outside of this space that we've created for ourselves, you know, when someone's like, how are you doing? I honestly don't even know what they are actually asking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, am I supposed to just go good and keep it going? Or are you actually trying to check in on me? Are you asking about, you know, like it it just, Mm -hmm. it just, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it is. That's so funny. You say like, are you actually checking in on me? Cause I have German friends that are like, you Americans are so funny. You always ask everyone, how are you doing? And you don't care. You never care. care. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I just be talking about the weather. (laughs) <laughs> the weather Everyone is. Everyone loves to talk about the weather. Everyone loves the weather. That's my vibe. <laughs> well, before we get into the episode, we, of course, want to thank all of you who sent us fan mail and reach out to us on social media. I know a lot of you are excited to hear our thoughts on the Grammys. That was, but um, here's a snippet. Since we're talking a lot about music and culture, I thought this was great. This is an email from Emmanuel writing from Paris, France. I love the podcast and always go on walks in the city while listening to you, which means I sometimes burst out laughing in the middle of a street and get stern looks from strangers. That's bold in Paris. They, they're, not, <laughs> they're not big on that kind of. Um, <laughs> I'm catching up on the past episodes and wanted to add something. Sam recommended a Prince album two episodes ago, and Said mentioned he was surprised that Prince's music was on streaming platforms. Prince refused to have his music on streaming platforms up until his death, and the music is now available because whoever is taking care of his estate has decided to put it back there. I wouldn't say I'm mad about it because it's always good to have Prince's music on hand, but I guess he would prefer people to listen to him on vinyl just like Sam does. Thank you for the wonderful podcast. 
keep it up. Thank you, Manuel. And, yeah, you know, again, I love that. Your bravery and laughing on the street in Paris. We stand yeah. in solidarity because <laughs> Parisian glares are terrifying. We love hearing from y'all. Keep it coming at vibecheck at stitcher.com. And I would say we have a surprise for you. We will be dropping a surprise episode in coordination with the Super Bowl, specifically about the Super Bowl show that is called Rihanna Returning to Our Lives. How are we feeling about that, guys? Ah, uh, trepidatious. She, she can return all she wants, but if she sings that bad song from Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, she can go back to where she came from. Look, I have been, I have been waiting for five years for that song. I swear. Do you think that's going to be the last song she does at the Super Bowl? She's not going to do it. She's not going to do it. I think she's going to do it. I think they're going to do it and they can do that thing where it's like it looks like everyone's like holding candles up or something. Oh, God. As long as there are no kids in cages while she does it, I'll be fine with it. We can just move past that. <gasps> All that said, listeners, catch us the morning after the Super Bowl. We'll be breaking down Rihanna's halftime show. But for now, let's get into this gig, shall we, girls? Let's, let's do, do it. it. So topic one, y'all know we had to do it. We got to talk about Beyonce and the Grammys and the album of the year of it all and the Harry Styles of it all. I want to get a few key facts out there. Then we're just going to go. And towards the end of the segment, we're going to go big picture on what this awards dynamic says about larger society as a whole. But first, as I'm sure you all know by now, Beyonce this past Sunday became the most awarded artist in Grammy history. She now has 32 Grammys, more than anybody else. But she reached that milestone even as yet another critically acclaimed album from Beyonce was shut out from the so-called Big Four Awards at the Grammys. The biggest of those awards being Album of the Year, it went to Harry Styles for his latest album. This is a pattern that we've been seeing for years now, especially with Beyonce. I want to ask both of you how y'all feel about this, but then go big picture about how these shows treat black people and what it says about how society treats black people. But first, I got to ask you both. I mean, Zach, you and I watched it together. Saeed, you went to bed early. Good for you. Um, Mm -hmm. How mad are y'all about this? I was really upset. I would like to say, you know, my therapist always tells me anger is a secondary emotion. So when I felt the anger that led to the now infamous tweets for Sam and I now that have led to a lot of (laughs) feelings from people, that was a response to heartbreak. I was so heartbroken to sit there for the fourth time in my life. I'm not that old. None of us are that old. We have experienced this four times. Beyonce sitting at the Grammys, deserving to win and having to watch her be gracious, smile, the camera focused on her as she sees that she is having to do more than ever before and still can't reach that benchmark, which is album of the year. So I just feel bad for her. And I've been so happy to see the response from her fans who are saying, don't go to the Grammys again. You're above this. Like you are the winner, obviously, because, you know, so many of us focus on the wrong people to validate us every day of our lives. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that Beyonce knew walking in that night She's probably not going to get it. That's why she was late. She was like, whatever, (laughs) y'all. And I have to have faith that she's like risen above the Grammys. And it's like, you know what? I do this for myself. I do this for my family, my friends, my fans, and that's it. But to see it happen again was heartbreaking. And to see the memes that we all shared with each other of her face next to all the white people that keep beating her, I just, mind-blowing. So She's an exercise in grace, I'll say that. 100%. Couldn't be me smiling. Nope. Syed, how'd you feel about it? I... I don't really watch award shows anymore. In terms of like the live broadcast, I tend to be doing whatever I'm doing and I follow along via Twitter. And then I go to sleep early. 
kind of like Michelle <laughs> Obama on election night 2016. Because you know what's coming. But also, you know, poet and music critic Hanif Adurb-Keeb referred to the Grammys as theater. And mm-hmm. I think that's actually true for all award shows. And maybe that's part of why I actually enjoy, like, not being in that space. And I don't mean theater. I, I can't speak for Hanif. But when I think of, oh, it's like theater, it's not pejorative. It means it's a performance and it's a space. And when you watch it, when you're in it, when you're watching the live telecast and maybe you're, you know, like, at a Grammys or Oscar, you're in it. Yeah. The, the emotions do catch up with you. Like, it's hard to be like, it's just an award. You don't need the value. Like, you, you get swept up. And I think it's a little easier to kind of have the grain of salt and everything when you're not watching it live. Like, in my mm-hmm. case, waking up the next morning being like, oh, well, yeah, there you go. I guess for me, as we go into this conversation, Pablo the Don is an excellent queer music critic that I've come across via TikTok. And they shared two points that I think would be really helpful. One, Pablo has noticed that in the lead-up to Album of the Year, when it's clear that there is going to be some kind of snub or disappointment, categories that usually aren't shown during the live telecast suddenly are. Mm-hmm. In this case, this year, electronic it was album, electronic at four for Beyonce, and mm-hmm. then Bad Bunny. It was like Urbana, Urbana contemporary, Urbana yes. contemporary musica, which yeah. again usually isn't shown during which the they live wrote telecast. In Spanish, yeah. but couldn't caption in Spanish. But anyway, right, it just going. says non English speaking, which <laughs> yeah. is a whole other embarrassment yeah. and shame. Yeah. Five hundred million people around the world speaking this language, and y'all called it non English. But, like, Pablo was like, it's a sign. Like, when you see that, you know that the Grammys know that they've kind of made a misstep, but still want to be able to cash in on the social currency. And then the other thing that Pablo pointed out of Beyonce's 32 wins, because the Grammy loves to tout the most awarded, da-da-da-da-da. They love to use Beyonce's kind of historic gravitas to drape themselves Mm -hmm. in her prestige. Um, Pablo pointed out, of those 32 wins, Beyonce has only won seven times against white artists. Wow. And that's the point. Well, that's the point. And so we did an episode on the greatest Grammy snubs of all time from my podcast into it over at Vulture. And we talked a lot about how the Grammys have what I refer to as a separate but equal system of awards. Yeah. Because there are so many subcategories and genres, you can have an artist like Beyonce that will win for electronic or win all the R&B categories, but continually get shut out of the top four, which is best album, best song, record Record. of the year, and then best new artist. Mm -hmm. And you see it happen all the time. It happened to Kendrick in 2014 when he won. Actually, with Kendrick, he lost almost everything to Macklemore that year. You know, we see it happen over and over and over. And where's Macklemore now? Like, even if you want to say, oh, he deserves it. It's like, okay, he's gone. how did that play out? Mm -hmm. But it's all even more galling when you see this literally separate but equal system, knowing that the Grammys continue to rely on Black artists and Black art for attention and viewership to their shows. Mm -hmm. So this year at the Grammys and last year at the Grammys, the big draw was waiting to see if Beyonce would break a record. And you wanted to watch and see. Last year, she broke a record as the woman to win the most Grammys. This year, she broke the record for all-time Grammy wins. And the Grammys publicize that, they get eyeballs on that and still can't give her the biggest award that she deserves. Also, especially at the Grammys this week, you saw how much they were just relying on black talent 
the biggest musical moment of the night was this tribute to 50 years of hip hop with every aging black rapper of note on that Mm -hmm. stage, getting the whole crowd hype. Trevor Noah hosted the show. Some of the biggest moments came from folks like Lizzo. These award shows can't live without black people and black art and black music at this point. And yet they consistently don't give those black artists their due. And this is the thing that doesn't happen just at the Grammys. Look at the Golden Globes. After their race scandal, who hosted it this year? Gerard Carmichael to save the Golden Globes. That makes it even more insulting to me. Well, I think, like, to broaden your point, music itself wouldn't be what it was without the contributions of Black people. And that's what made the Grammys the really biting moment that it was. Because you look at, or Black queer people, if we're going to be specific. So, like, Sister Rosetta Tharp, who created rock and roll, was a queer Black woman who inspired Little Richard, who then inspired Elvis. And, you know, it begins with Black queerness. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes really white. And that leads all the way up to electronica music, which Beyonce, you know, is one of a few Black people that have won in that category ever. And it was created by Black people, Black queer people. And that was my issue is when Harry Styles got up there and said what he said. This doesn't happen very often to people like me. It was kind of like ice water hit a lot of us because we had been produced through this show called the Grammys to think that Beyonce's going to win and we're finally going to see reparations paid to Black people, queer people for the work that they have done for music in general. When he said that, he could have said instead, I want to thank all the Black people, the queer people that I where it's inspired by Prince, Little Richard, et cetera, who got me here. And I think in that moment, he would have saved the day because Beyonce did that when she won for Best Electronica Album. She said, I'm she so happy Uncle to be Johnny. Up here. She said, mm-hmm. Uncle Johnny, the Black queer community that made who this, et cetera, who genre. invented this. When Lizzo won, she said, thank you, Prince, because Prince put her on. Kim Petras, she, you know, complications she with her quote. She thanked the whole community. But she yeah. thanked Sophie, who died. Yeah. Yeah. All of the people thank someone to say, I arrive on your shoulders. Harry Styles did not even think about the shoulders he arrives on. And that is the issue. And that's the issue with the Grammys. That's the issues with the war shows, et cetera. Well, and then this is the thing that I really found kind of dumb in people's response to that. They said, well, you know, he was actually talking about growing up poor and he didn't know, he didn't mean that. And it's like continually people like Harry Styles, they're allowed ignorance. Yeah. They're allowed to be ignorant and it's excused. Whereas Beyonce has to do everything right and know everything and know her history and reference it all and she'll still lose. Yeah. I think this is why I can't stop thinking about the whole moment. What happened between Harry and Beyonce is what happens to black people and black women in the workplace yep. throughout America all the time. You're better, you don't get what you deserve, you still got to smile and the ones who win still get to be not as good and ignorant. There was even a moment when Beyonce won the Grammy that night that took her to her record of 32. It was presented to her by James Corden. James Corden infamously, infamously got an Emmy for Carpool Karaoke beating Beyonce's Homecoming, one Mm -hmm. of the greatest concert films of all time. This is why I think it's so important. Beyonce represents what so many people of color have to deal with at work. You don't get the thing you deserve, but you got to smile and take a consolation prize from the guy who shouldn't have even got the thing. Yeah, It feels so visceral and personal to me. I think that's a helpful dot to connect yeah. because, you know, I, I understand something. Go, look, Beyonce would be okay. You know, she's a millionaire. She's going to be okay. all these, yeah. you know, it's a she's war fine. show. Who she's cares? Fine. That's but not going to help me something. get medicine for my kid this week. And true. That is true. Um, but also, I think it is helpful to understand that 
These awards, the the Oscars, Golden Globes, Emmys, the Grammys, these are industry awards, ultimately. Mm -hmm. They're presented as, again, like a theater of entertainment, but they're actually industry awards. So what they are, are industries communicating to themselves and to us, the perceivers, the consumers, about what they value, what they want to put down in the record books, and where they're going. And I think, Sam, yeah, I think you're on to something. Is it necessarily do or die in a literal sense that Beyonce didn't win Album of the Year? No. But when we see across culture different industries saying again and again, Black people are artifice, Black people are commodities— Black people are proxies for our sully reputations, and we're going to get everything we can from them without awarding capital, power, or even just acknowledgement to yeah. them. You know, that to me feels like a, it's like kind of like a warning shot. Yeah. And oh, it also, yeah. And it's like symbolic. Like, as you were saying that, Sam, it makes me think of Quinta Brunson winning her Emmy, literally having to step over Jimmy Kimmel. She yeah. had to literally do that in her yep. career off stage. Turning her moment do into it a joke. On stage. And it's like, why is it? This is not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. They have to literally step over Jimmy Kimmel to get their Emmy. They have to literally be presented their Grammy by the guy that beat them for recording his car rides. It's like, well, and this is the thing, and I can't stop thinking about this. There is a Beyonce Harry Styles dynamic in everyone's workplace. 100%. There is a Beyonce mm-hmm. James Corden dynamic in everyone's hometown and society. And that's what I want us to think about. And that's why I get so heated about this. Beyonce, the most powerful woman in the world, the most powerful black woman in the world, is still a victim to these systems of systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Beyonce can't beat it at the Grammys yeah. after changing the entire music industry. That's what I want folks to realize. It is present for all of us. It is a constant pressure for all of us. And I get it. Beyonce is a billionaire who doesn't need my help. But I hope that we see that this represents a whole lot more than just Beyonce. I do want to say, historically, the Grammys get it wrong so much. There's a reason why a lot of famous artists are just not showing up. Anymore. The weekend's not <laughs> going. We Drake's we not going. We didn't get into that. that, that yeah. yeah. There's, there's something going on. But here's the Grammy snub of all Grammy snubs that's going to make your jaw drop. At the 1985 Grammys, honoring music released in 1984, the following albums were up for Album of the Year. Cyndi Lauper's She's So Unusual, Tina Turner's Private Dancer, Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA, and Prince's Purple Rain. Guess what one album of the year that year? Not any of those. Guess. I don't think uh, I know. That Lionel Richie Richie album with All Night Long on it. The All Night Long Lionel Richie album. Not not Nicole's daddy. (laughs) (laughs) The Grammy's been wrong. On that note, we're going to go to a break. When we come back, we'll still be thinking about Beyonce, but talking about something else. You're listening to Vibe Check. Stay tuned. Hey there, Zach Stafford, co-host of Vibe Check. And something I heard really early on in my career was this phrase that has never left me. It is, you can't be what you can't see. And for me, that is so true. All of the Black people I got to grow up and watch on television, be journalists, and so much more, are the foundation to why I continue to have a media career. And that's the case for so, so many people. And if you're looking for the next generation of influential Black voices in media, you can find all of them on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. 
In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, Now they are. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. All right, we are back, and we're going to switch gears to talk about Governor Ron DeSantis and his war on public education. I'm going to start with this. I want you to keep in mind, as we think about the way Ron DeSantis is using public policy in the state of Florida, which fortunately the three of us don't live in, but we live in America. There is a line in Sula, Toni Morrison's novel, one of my favorites, where Sula says to some bullies, if I can do that to myself, what do you think I'll do to you? And that's after she cuts off the tip of one of her fingers with a knife to scare them. Mm-hmm. And the reason I raise that is I've noticed, um, and I just want to say this as an aside, there's a tendency in our culture when something happens in another state and another part of the country, certainly when something happens in the South, I see a lot of liberal people mock the South as if it isn't majority Black mm-hmm. or as if what happens there doesn't impact us too. So whether you, yeah. you know, like, I just want to remind that what we see playing out in Florida, it's a threat to all of us. Also, it's a threat to the people who live there, and you should just care about them too, straight up. Okay, so you've probably heard, I'm sure, the College Board will be revising the curriculum of its AP African American History course, thanks to complaints from Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. I think we can all agree, like, obviously, that is frustrating, disturbing, embarrassing for many, many reasons. Happy Black History Month. But What the three of us have been talking about in the group chat is how this is actually part of a broader strategy. My theory is that ahead of the 2024 presidential election, DeSantis has copy and pasted Trump's birtherism hack, that's what I'm calling it, in hopes that it will take him to the Oval Office too. But I'm worried about where all of this is taking us. Like, if for Trump, President Obama wasn't a real American— What we're seeing now is that for DeSantis, inclusive education has no real place in real American education. And he's also saying that queer people aren't real people. He's exactly. saying that black knowledge is not real knowledge. Mm-hmm. You All know, of that. Any, however yeah. you want to define inclusive education, yeah. this is it, right? He is yeah. saying white supremacy. Yeah. That's what yeah. he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why so I'm calling it 
birtherism for books. And I'm not trying to be cute <laughs> here because the thing is, birtherism didn't just take Trump to the Oval Office. It took all of us to January 6th. So yes. just know, as I'm about to go through all of these policies that DeSantis is introducing, I'm kind of like, well, where does birtherism for books not just take Ron DeSantis, but where could it take us in the end game, right? It's about more, unfortunately, than just him ending up in the White House. Following the lead of policies like Don't Say Gay and all the critical race theory, which we saw a lot of from 2021 and 2022, Ron DeSantis, okay, let me take a breath. And this is an abbreviated list. <laughs> okay. An abbreviated list of policies he's introduced just in the last month. Here we go. He's announced a plan to block state colleges and universities from having programs on diversity, equity, and inclusion and critical race theory. That means any university programs, including extracurriculars, that are somehow related to diversity, that seems wildly broad, should lose funding or be closed down. At a press conference, DeSantis said all students graduating from public colleges and universities would be required to take a gen ed course to include, and this is a direct quote, actual history and actual philosophy that shaped Western civilization, end quote. I mean, that sounds like something right out of like David Dukes's diaries. Mm-hmm. He also wants to change policy so that tenured faculty members can have their tenure reviewed by university trustees and presidents at any time. So I'm sure just like anyone gets mad at something you said and suddenly, you know, your job is on the line. And (laughs) the governor um, has signed HB 1467, which bans, quote, pornographic and age-inappropriate books from schools, um, which means that teachers and librarians across the states, this is in elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, they're removing books, they're papering over their classroom bookcases because they're afraid of ending up with a fine of $5,000 or five years in prison with a third-degree felony if they, quote, display one of the— Yes, if they, quote, display a book that is called Forbidden, Age-Inappropriate. And the language is so broad in this policy that teachers and librarians are understandably like, I don't know what to do, so I'd rather just remove the book than, you know, end up in jail. That was a very fast crash course on DeSantis' war in public education. But how do you feel about this? Does my theory line up for y'all? I have two top line thoughts that are just tied to the pragmatism or lack thereof of what DeSantis is doing. I think there are two big things going on here. One, DeSantis knows that most of this stuff won't stand. A lot of this stuff's going to get locked up in court. A lot of it, they'll just quietly stop talking about. And what you see with this is that it's less about whether these rules are actually enacted It's more about galvanizing the most important constituency to any GOP politician running for president in 2024, and that is evangelical white Christians. They can decide who wins that primary. They matter so much less in the general, but, but to get that nomination, DeSantis needs to speak to them. And so he knows most of this shit can't stand but he's talking right to who he wants to talk to. That's the first point. And then the second point, even if this stuff were to go into effect, it's not actually helping the people he claims need it or want it. A lot of these rich conservative white parents, they're not sending their children to public school at all. They're sending their kids to charter schools, to private schools. Or it's people who showing showing up to school board meetings and it's like, you don't even have a kid in the school. Exactly. Why are you here? And so like, this is going to affect if it goes into effect, all these things, it'll mostly affect poor kids, black kids, 
brown kids, that's even more galling about it all. Yeah. But I think that we have to keep DeSantis's actions as offensive as they are, as troubling as they are, as fascist as they are. It's also just like a one plus one equals two strategy for this race for president. Like yes. that's happening too, you know? Yeah. And it's also like a bigger, I think what scares me about DeSantis is that he's presenting a chess game that is about system changes, which is where you should get a little freaked out. When we used to say, thank God Donald Trump isn't smart, but watch out for the smart version of him. I think DeSantis is the smart version of him. And what we're seeing here is a very long game here, like the Republicans have played with federal judges around de-educating populations that are black and brown, and lower mm-hmm. income, and making sure that they never become liberals. Because what we know is that education is a direct pathway to democratic voting. That has been the case forever and ever. The more you know, the more you lean left, which is an amazing thing, and people should really meditate on why that is. And what DeSantis knows is that the less educated population is, the more likely they are to become conservative. It's also more likely that they'll become active in the military and they'll become agents of the state. And whenever you see really vague policies that are really brutal, that's when you should be like, something's off here. A really great example of this are police policies. So police officers don't have a lot of rules around them when they want to fire a gun. It's, I felt scared. And they Mm -hmm. never have to define that. It's really, really vague. Mm -hmm. And the purposes of that is that the state can be protected and can enact itself in any way it wants. So what you're seeing DeSantis do is broadening the state's overreach within education, within police departments, everywhere, so that they can just make rules up on the fly and never be checked for. And that, that is not democratic. That is very anti what this country is about. And people should be mad about this. And this is the thing about the way GOP politics works. For, gosh, two or three decades now, states share policy. So if one GOP-led state Mm -hmm. has a bill that they like, they pass it on. And there is a clearinghouse where this stuff ends up all across the country. So I guarantee you, whatever does work from him right now, we're going to see other states doing it very quickly as well. You know Greg Abbott yeah. is just looking and waiting and ready for all this too, you know? Yeah, Ohio is already directly replicating a lot of these policies. And also, you know, as someone who's, you know, as a writer, I, I visit schools a lot. I've, I've taught a bit. I'm also disturbed because in real time, like, you're right, it's like maybe he's making a lot of noise, right? And he gets what he wants from the kind of political cachet and then kind of drops it or courts it like it ties up. But there are real-time consequences, like in terms of the chilling effect. I think a lot about how important like classroom libraries are to students. I think a lot about how, you know, coming of age is like you're passing through doors as a young person and those doors close behind you. So the students are being denied opportunities, for example, to be introduced to that book that suddenly makes them want to become a writer. They're missing the opportunity to be introduced to that learning concept that for once makes them sit up in class and go, what's this about the Black Panthers? Oh, that's interesting. Let me learn more about this. And now they're like, I want to be a history major when I go to college. You know what I mean? Like, sure, Mm -hmm. you know, hopefully students kind of find their entry points. Hopefully educators find ways to connect. But in real time, like we can just say straight up, this semester in America, there are students that are not going to have those transformative moments of connection that they would have otherwise. And I think that's like so sad. That's so important, Slade, because it's also about just feeling seen in the classroom will change Mm -hmm. how you participate so much. I remember having this like kooky English teacher in ninth grade in high school who one day said, we're going to do two weeks of Tupac as poetry. Mm. And it changed my whole life because I was surprised that a white woman in nowhere, Mm. Tennessee, 
said Tupac was not only valid, but he was a poet and that we should be engaging in poetry and that she put him alongside Shakespeare. And I can draw a direct line to my life in that moment and what I have built around me. And if I had not had that, I don't think I would have dreamed as big as I've dreamed to say I'm worthy of standing next to, you know, the greats of white literature or the greats of white podcasting or whatever it is. You need to have that representation. I mean, I've I've mentioned before that in high school in the suburbs of North Texas, a community that very much its politics are in line with people like Ron DeSantis, encountering poets like Audre Lorde and Margaret Atwood in particular in high school changed my life. That was the moment my posture changed as a student, you know? And I now know that the only reason I encountered those poets is that my teacher, without naming it this, basically was low-key teaching poetry as a feminist literature like unit. She didn't say Mm. that. She didn't Mm. even talk about gender politics. Mm. But every poet she assigned that semester was a woman who consistently wrote about gender (laughs) dynamics, you know, like on the snake. And I just now think, oh, wow, what if that teacher who was like, you know, in teaching now would go, oh, I can't do that. You know, I got to change my curriculum because I don't want to get in trouble, which that's legit. Five years in prison, 5,000. Like these aren't small consequences. Educators aren't cowards. And I want to make it very clear that like, as we all know, like when they're not trying to keep our children alive from mass shootings, they're now having to deal with this, you know, and it's not like they're being paid a lot. And it's also, I keep thinking, well, what do you do if you're a concerned citizen as this happens? One, I think it's really important to support book culture. Support book culture. Go to your library that's in your town and just be there. Maybe even volunteer there. Mm -hmm. Maybe even see if you can donate. Buy books from your local bookstore. See if they need help. Be a part of a culture that supports learning and supports books, even as we see these things happening. And of course, I say it all the time, get involved in local politics. The crazies are already on the school board. You should be too. You You should be too. 100% you should be. My brother's an educator and that's all he talks about is how devastated he is every cycle around who gets to sit on the school board. Well, because this is not going to stop because Ron DeSantis knows it gets some attention. We're going to keep seeing more of this. So for me, it's like, all right, how can I be vigilant? How can I be vigilant? I saw someone, a woman in Tampa, wrote about going to a bookstore and buying a pile of Toni Morrison books. Yes. <laughs> and the person yes. was like, congratulations. And she was like, uh-uh, this is for the free libraries in my neighborhood. Uh, you know those little, there you go. little yeah. free libraries and people? Because that it. is kind of, it's like, you know, like it, maybe if it can't be in a teacher's classroom, yeah, if you can build a little free library. And she was like, I'm just going to put them everywhere I see them and hope that the people who need these books are able to stumble across them. And I was like, I love that idea. Yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. Well, be vigilant. Ron DeSantis, we're watching you. I'm <laughs> laughing, but it's not funny. I swear to God. Listen, you're it, ruining it is people's not. lives. Truly. You're ruining people's lives. You will not see the gates of heaven. We're going to take a break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with our recommendations, which I have a feeling are going to be pretty chaotic this week. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. 
If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. We are back. And before we end the show, we love sharing with you something that's helping us keep our vibes right or throwing us off. Mine is a mixture this week, which I'll save for later. But to get this going, I want to hear from Saeed Jones. I keep going to him today just because I've seen Sam so much in person that I'm like, what's Saeed? Are you tired of me? You tired of me? See, that's you, you should work out, work that out. Yeah, I did not say that. I did not lot. say that. <laughs> Don't reject my friendship, Zach. Oh my Do god. Do not let any abandonment be triggered. See you, my brother. Matter of fact, once we're done with this taping, I'm just going to Zach's house. I'ma see you in 45 minutes, player. And, and I will be here too. Go ahead, Saeed. I'm uh, sorry. Um, well, so my recommendation this week is grits. No. <laughs> okay. Happy Black History no. Month. Okay. You it know. is February. It is February. Is it like grits, like Khalees album? Like what is grits? Like grits the food? <laughs> Salty or sweet? Salty or sweet? Salty, salty. We'll get into that in a moment. We'll okay. get into that. You're, okay. you're trying to cause shit. You, I, I, I see really you, am. Sam. <laughs> I see you. Okay, so my recommendation Grits. this week is actually inspired by Zach because I have been oh. making cookies over the course of these last cold few weeks, and that's been great. And so in the spirit of that, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, I went to New Orleans with my friend Teddy and had a great time. And while we were there, we had breakfast a couple of times, and I got grits. And I like it's like that thing where you, like, you forget how much you love something. Mm, and I think mm-hmm. as someone who grew up in the South but pointedly has not lived in the South um, mm-hmm. as an adult for a long time and probably never will because straight-up trauma, straight-up peril and oppression. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. But my love of Southern food has never gone away. And so I, I was in New Orleans and eating grits, and it was like every bite, it brought back all of these memories, the butter, the saltiness, the I love cheese, like it just the texture. It felt like home. And so mm. I, I realized, like, as someone who, you know, I, I'm not a cook. I don't enjoy cooking. It overwhelms me. It takes so long. And usually when I do cook, I'm so exhausted that by the time I finish, I don't even want to eat the food. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but grits, really easy to make. You can make a great pot of grits in, like, honestly, 20 minutes. And I've been doing it. I've been making grits for breakfast, and then sometimes I'll make them for dinner, too. Oh, my. And I've just, it makes me happy. It makes me so happy, and it's just like a real source of joy. I got to yeah. ask, how are you doing the grits besides salty or sweet? Are you adding stuff to it, what putting I stuff like on it? What I like to add to it is mm-hmm. smoked gouda. Pieces of yes. smoked oh. gouda. That's my secret. And like, you know, like cut it up, dice them up into little pieces and mm-hmm. then kind of stir them in so it's like fully melted. That's the thing. I don't like, sometimes people make grits and they just like throw a bunch of stuff on top of it. No. If that makes sense. And, I, yeah. and then yeah. it's like, total that's sense. like almost like a gumbo. I like grits when the consistency where it still has that smoothness. So I like to like stir things in slowly and let them melt. But that's my secret. Smoked Gouda. I love that. And also, Saeed, Gouda is a secret cheese ingredient to many Southern mac and cheese recipes. So it that's makes like people talk about the it's mixing. So Gouda great. is like the secret mm-hmm. kind of weapon for some mm-hmm. people. So yes, it's a great Okay. Add. Love it. 
What about you, Sam? My recommendation for this week is not anything food related. It is a streaming platform called Peacock. Zach and I have talked about this on another show. Peacock is like having a moment. Um, They recently gained like 5 million new users Mm -hmm. in a quarter. They have two bona fide hits in the Natasha Leone show, Poker Face, and then the Alan Cumming reality show, The Traitor. And I've just been spending a lot of time these last few weeks with Peacock, and I like it. I like The Traitor. I like Poker Face. And I just found out all of the back catalog of The Housewives is on Peacock. I've begun watching Potomac. The I can't get was enough Sunday. of those crazy light rights. Michelle wow. Obama's favorite show. We love Potomac. <laughs> it is great. Yeah, I said it. Yeah. I, I said it, Saeed. I said it. Crazy light rights. I, I cannot. Do you just... <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, all that said, Peacock is working for me right now. Okay. It's also where I watch SNL now. I'm just enjoying their content. I thought I was a forever Hulu, HBO Max person, maybe Netflix. But Peacock is doing the damn thing. Also, Amber Ruffin is on there, and I love her, yeah, too. Yeah, Amber is great. Oh, and Sam and I sat down with Ashley Ray to do her show this week, which you can listen to also today as you're listening to this, called TV I Say, where we break down why Peacock is rising. Peacock is peacocking, I think was the Peacock joke. Peacocking, with help oh, okay. from black creators. Black people, yeah. You so. had me. So this is the thing. Sam always has me until like, <laughs> when it comes time for Sam to stick the landing on an opinion, that's always where he loses me. Because when he's like, I watch SNL, I'm like, you fucking ancestor. You are so cool. <laughs> I watch it for Bowen. Bowen's my boo. I love me some Bowen Yang. So old. (laughs) My recommendation this week is a bit complicated. It's about a TikTok star I love who now has risen above what could have been a lot of controversy for her. And it is a user named Christine Gerard. She runs the SoulCycle kind of stationary bike facility called Power and Flow, which is in Arizona. And she has become famous for being the TikTok star that does these classes where she got white people hitting the beats on these bikes. Popping and locking. It is amazing. She plays really great music. She's wonderful. Her and her husband opened the studio about two and a half years ago, cleaned out their savings. It's amazing. Peloton got tagged in a bunch of comments under some of her videos, Cody Rigsby specifically, which I have a lot of thoughts about Cody Rigsby. He teaches hip hop classes on Peloton's app and is a white gay man. Um, So that's for another day. And Cody Rigsby came for her When someone said, why isn't Peloton doing these classes? He wrote, absolutely not. This shit is unsafe and a joke. What is wrong about that? Is that Cody Cody. has, you know, there's a whole conversation around like the using of black music within Peloton, whatever, by white people. But this woman was minding her business. She was running a business. She had no, like anything against Peloton. She loves them, has supported them. Cody just decided to come after her and he has faced a wrath from the cycling community that has what been beautiful. What was he beautiful. saying was unsafe? I don't know. The, the choreo on the bike, I guess. I, guess. I don't know. Which, they're just moving their arms. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Isn't that what he does? I've- yes, he does the same thing. So, what was great about this is Christina has put out a video where she doesn't fight him. She's like, Cody, I respected you. I loved you. I'm just a small business owner. I wish you would just let me do my job and let me live my life. Thank you so much, but please don't say these things about me again. And it is really a masterclass and like not punching down as Michelle Obama warns us. She did not go low. She went high and and it's beautiful. And then Cody had to respond. He apologized and then said to all of his followers, go to her studio. Go to her studio. She won. She won. won. I will say the lesson in all of this for someone like Cody, the golden rule of talking shit, punch up, Never punch down. Yes, exactly. Don't do it. He's Come huge. On. You He's know, so I'm not yes. a Peloton girly, but I know who he is. It I seems am. like he, I'm you sure look, he's someone with millions and millions of to followers. Beyonce. Oh, look Ta-da. at you. <laughs> I sure did. 
He's super resourced, super wealthy from Peloton. He had no reason to come for her at all. And he did, and she clapped back, but in a way that has really just been beautiful. And I think everyone listening to the show, follow her on TikTok, follow her on Instagram. The TikToks are amazing. It's great. I haven't been to her class in Arizona. I want to go, but you can support from afar. So check her out. Yeah. What are y'all feeling or not feeling this week? What's your vibe? What's keeping it right? Are you going to Christina's classes? Because if you are, please DM me. I want to hear about it. You also can email us at vibecheck at stitcher.com. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of Vibe Check. If you love the show and want to support us, please make sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast listening platform and tell a friend. Huge thank you to our producer, Shondell Holder, engineer Brendan Burns and Malcus Holm for our theme music and sound design. Special thank you to our producers, Nora Ritchie at Stitcher and Brandon Sharp from Agenda Management and Production. And last but not least, thank you, Jared O'Connell and Imelda Skinder. Thank you for all your help. And like I said earlier, we want to hear from you. So you can email us at vibecheck at stitcher.com. You can keep in touch with us on Instagram at adzackstaff, at Sam Sanders, and at The Ferocity. You can use the hashtag vibecheckpod across every platform. We will see it. And you can follow us on TikTok at at vibecheckpod. And I want to make myself very clear. When I made the joke about someone recommending the show via Grindr and I would share it, I was very serious. And I have yet to get a DM about a Grindr message. So you girls either need to download the app, check out the app. Maybe our listeners are more into Scruff. Our Scruff. Actually, do it on a dating app. I would love to see it. Put VibeCheck in your Hinge profile and you'll get all the dates. All right. Well, that's our show. Stay tuned for another episode next Wednesday. Bye. Bye. Stitcher. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app. Or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.